Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024, the very Happy first n- podcast of the year. Ha- Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy or Happy Hanukkah, even though... Just say happy Han- holidays. Hanukkah, Hanukkah was over prior to the last episode, so, you know, we, we took a little bit of time off. Yeah, we I, never said happy end of 2023. We never did, like, a little recap. A no. Little, a little bookend on 2023. I mean, should we, we did a, should we do we did, that now? We did a Patreon episode. We did. But yeah, your, your, sure. your, quick, your quick Ducks highlights of 2023. My quick Ducks highlights of 2023. Uh, the Ducks were garbage <laughs> for a lot of it. They got a very good pick out of it. They've hired a coach that feels like he has started to right the ship and has a plan in place. And mm-hmm. things it seems like things are starting to turn around. And there are fun times ahead, even though this podcast is going to be a little bit up and down, like the the past like, two weeks like, were like for the, the ducks. ducks. Like the past two weeks were for the Ducks. But there are signs of improvement, signs of growth, signs of what you want to see for this team moving forward, even though there are also some bad signs here and there. Um, and that's not a whole lot of what we could say over the last couple of, of seasons and especially at the end of last season. And so I think overall I'm going into 2024 with hope. I don't think that this is a team that is going to be uh, in the playoffs. I think that's a pretty obvious statement at this yeah. point in time, which, which is a bummer. I think that they can still find themselves playing competitive games down the stretch, but they're not yes. going to be in the playoffs or in a playoff race necessarily. But I think that there is a whole lot of hope and optimism for this team moving forward. And I don't think that's something that we could have necessarily said the last, uh, primarily 2023, going into 2023. I think last season there was so much doom and gloom entering 2023. It felt like it was playing out the playing out the, the end of the season already at that point in time. And the only thing that there was for hope was potentially a Connor Bedard at the end of it. And... That didn't happen, obviously. The Ducks ended up with Leo Carlson, and that is a fantastic prize also. But it feels like there's a whole lot more hope. And I feel like at this point in time, I haven't really even jumped into the draft because there's still so much within the this team and on the ice that's worth focusing on. So that was yeah. a long-winded answer to your question, but yeah. that's what I do. Yeah, what I'm getting out of that is we need... You remember the like Obama posters back in the day, the, the hope the hope poster it's like his face that's yeah, like red yeah. one blue we need a jake on rudolph me? oh we me? need, we, okay. we need your, your face on that a okay. jake rudolph hope poster okay i mean the highlight to me i think you kind of you summed up the kind of the the timeline the arc yeah. of it yeah but i think that the the thing that stands out the most is drafting leo carlson because i think what we've seen in this this first 30 game stretch or so is that leo carlson is really the future of the franchise. I think that they, they have drafted a franchise player, you know, so far with Mason McTavish, with Trevor Zegris, as much as we like those players and as, as, as good as they are, you know, they're, they don't necessarily feel like true first line, you know, top 25 player potential like Leo Carlson does. Leo Carlson has the potential to be like a true star in the NHL. And that is a really big deal when you draft a guy like that. And the fact that he came in, looked great right away, like that his adaptation to the NHL was just completely seamless. Like that's the highlight for me because I really wasn't, I I had no clue what to expect. I did not expect him to be in the NHL period. And so that's a great highlight. Just the whole pre-draft process of, you know, diving into these prospects, figuring out who would be the best pick at number two 
and to eventually get there, all the reaction, all the kind of just analysis yeah. as as he was starting out, like it was it was a cool process, and I'm I'm just excited to see where it all goes from here. So, goodbye, yeah. 2023. Goodbye, 2023. There were obviously some highs and a whole lot of lows. Yeah, I'm gonna pretend those didn't happen. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ignore all that. <laughs> You're gonna block it out. You're gonna block out the whole end of last season. I mean, I think that what we're seeing right now in a weird twist of fate is so by what I mean, what I mean by that is that the Ducks recent losses, the Ducks recent struggles. I think what we're seeing right now is I want, I don't want to say reverting back to last year because it's not that, but we're seeing that this team is still very much developing, that they're still very much a ways away from being a finished product. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That is completely okay. It does draw some questions about, you know, how they're playing, the the personnel, all of that. But it just goes to show that they accomplished some great things early in the in the season, kind of getting some legitimate optimism going. Yep. But now maybe with some injuries sprinkled in, hard to find that lineup consistency. But also just the team itself, I think that their overall play has just taken a dip lately. Yeah, I definitely think they're way more up and down right now than they were earlier on in the season. And I think we'll get into the games a little bit, but I think a lot of that can be growing pains with Greg Cronin's system. I think still figuring it out, still implementing some of that stuff. I also think you, you kind of keyed in on it. Injuries really do play a big part in, in this season. And that's not necessarily meant to be, be an excuse because every single team does deal with injuries at various points in time. But I think what these injuries do show is that the depth of the team and the, uh, the four, the four depth is just not there as of yet. And that's okay. That's why we kind of focus on the fact of, hey, and we've mentioned this a lot of times with the the amount of prospects the Ducks have on the blue line, that is what you use to capitalize and add the depth at forward, right? You find the younger players that fit that the timeline, fit the time the the contending window for this team to build that depth. So when you are out the Troy Terry's, you're out the Leo Carlson's, you're out the Trevor Zegers's of the world. Mason McTavish. Mason McTavish. All, all these guys, when those guys are missing from your lineup, you're not going to feel it as bad. You're still always going to feel it when those guys are gone, but it's not going to be as much of a, you're not going to end up with a Max Jones first line winger, I guess is the best. <laughs> hey, way he's play. playing and well. No, but that that's not even meant to be yeah. a shot at Max Jones, but that's just, he's not a first line winger. He just, he just isn't. That's not no. where he should be playing. You won't end up with as much as Frank Vetrano's been, been good at scoring goals this year. He is not a second line player on most teams. He good should qualifier. be a, he should be a third liner. Yeah. Like that, that is his game. A third liners that is able to chip in goals. Like that is a good quality to have on a team. And that is where he should be slotting in because he is just too high in the lineup and getting matchups that are really sinking him and hurting the team at the end of the day. Um, and so I think that's kind of what this last little stretch has, has shown for me specifically. Yeah. I think that now we're just jump, we're jumping around, yeah. here, but, but that's yeah. fine. What I think I'm just going to jump we, ahead we, here. We miss we miss five games here with the podcast. I'm, I'm so gonna, there's been a lot that's happened. I'm just assuming that people have watched the games, or they didn't, and they saw the scores, and maybe they just ignored it because they were busy having cocktails on New Year's Eve or, or what have Respect. you. And I honestly do not blame you one bit because I basically did the same, although I have gone back and, and watched, uh, much to my chagrin. But I think that what we're seeing, especially as of late, is okay. that... Greg Cronin wants this team to play a very high octane, high energy brand of hockey where you yeah. have an aggressive forecheck, you have an aggressive 
defensive zone, man-to-man coverage. You're always engaged physically. And to play that brand of hockey, you know, I kind of think of it as like the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, Colorado Avalanche, just in-your-face hockey. Mm -hmm. You need good skaters. You need guys who are fast, who are strong, who can withstand the rigors of playing that style because it is not easy. You know, especially when you're pressuring the puck 200 feet from your net and that puck comes out of your of the offensive zone and you have to track back, you're covering a lot of ice. Like you're, you're you know, if they're keeping track of how many miles that these guys are traveling in these games, that it's a lot. And I think what we're seeing right now with this team is that they don't necessarily have the horses to play that way. You know, if you look at the depth of this team in particular, guys like Adam Henry, guys like Jakob Silverberg, um, I mean, you could... Ryan Strom, even Frank Vetrano, if I'm being completely honest, these are guys who just don't really have the aptitude to play this style at its best capacity. And, you know, I think that Greg Cronin, rightfully so, saw that this system could bring success to the team early on in the season when everyone was fresh, when everyone was fully bought in. And I still think that the guys are bought in, but for whatever reason, the amount of mental mistakes, the amount of blatant errors that are going on in all areas of the ice have only increased. And there are definitely bigger culprits than others. Looking at you, Frank Vetrano, looking at you, Mason McTavish, looking at you, Ryan Strom. Like there has just been a lot of bad defensive awareness. Trevor Zegras mm-hmm. is certainly not innocent. The mm-hmm. the second goal against Arizona, that was a bad mess up. But yep. all this to say that right now they want to play a certain way and I think that over an 82-game grind of a season that is the NHL regular season, they might just not have the horses. And I don't know why we always say horses, but here we are. So uh, react to my take. couple of things. So first off, Goose in our Discord already has me as hope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's why I was kind of distracted. You were going open Discord and saw that already. So I need to uh, see this. So that that's... Oh, that's good. That's but- first off. Second off, what do you make of the fact, before I get to my take that I was teasing in Your our Discord soccer today. Take? Yeah. Um, what do you make of the fact, so Corey Schneider, all, all three zones, fantastic patron, go support him. Um, does does some amazing work, some of the best microstat work that you'll find. Just has to, it, it's so, so important for us. So I think he's tracked 12 games now for the Ducks. And it's kind of from various different periods for this team. There's some early, some November. I think he has a couple of the early December games in there. He has the Ducks as being more of a rush team in terms of how they generate their offense per 60 minutes of ice time. Mm-hmm. And not being a very good forecheck team in the sense of getting shots off, shots uh, from the cycle and the forecheck. What do you make of that in comparison to kind of everything you just kind of laid out with what so, Greg Cronin wants? What I'm talking about is without the puck. So... The way that the Ducks want to play is that your first forward on mm-hmm. the forecheck mm-hmm. that's that's along the goal line pressuring the puck carrier. Yeah. You you want him close to the puck carrier. Mm-hmm. You want your second forward close to that next closest option. Yep. And then you want your third player, your third forward kind of tracking yep. up high. So it's like a two one two, basically. That's my that's how I view well, it. I could be wrong about that. But basically that's how they want to play. And so when the puck goes north. For the opposition, you have to cover a lot more ground, and it's a got it. It's so a good style. Okay. It can work, but the thing is, if you miss an assignment or you don't get back as quickly, or you're tired, or you know puck goes side to side on entry for the other team or in transition through the neutral zone, if one mistake happens, 
you're potentially in a bad spot because you have less back pressure than you would otherwise. And so, so and so what we're hap- what we're seeing consistently mm-hmm. and it's and it's not just in the most recent games is that guys are just losing their man in transition, getting confused. And I don't necessarily know what the reason for it is, but I think that having to cover all that ground consistently and expending all that energy could be a factor. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So I, I think just to clarify then, because what I was getting at was uh, just trying to make sure I was understanding exactly where you're going okay. with it. That it it's not so much about the fact that the Ducks want to be a hard four check team in terms of that's how they always want to be generating offense because that's not necessarily what the numbers are showing. They're actually generating most of their offense no. from the from the rush. But when they do get in on the four check, the system that they are utilizing on the four check is not causing having success and it's actually causing. Uh, more chances to go the other way. And that's being shown up actually in the numbers when you think about it. The fact that they are they aren't the worst, but they're let me see, the the sixth worst team in the NHL at generating offense off of the four check, off of the cycle. Like mm-hmm. they're they are not good a good team at generating offense off of the cycle. They are a team that are going to live and die off the rush. Like that is where they are going to generate their offense. And that also makes sense with the fact that I think Greg Cronin loves to have his defense activate, which is something that they mention a lot with Colorado. Well, so one thing I want to chime in and really quickly here is that I don't think that this is necessarily by design though. I think that specifically for the cycle. So when the ducks are controlling, you know, for you basketball fans, like half court offense versus fast break, they are, I think they are good at controlling the puck along the wall they are bad at translating that into productive offense. There's a lot of yeah, just, I would you know, c- cycling along the wall, low to high point shots. That a lot of don't point get, shots. A lot of point shots. Which is why I don't fully trust this data by, you know, Corey right now for some things because it, it says they're below average in point shots per 60, which just seems wrong to me. Um, but all this to say that I don't necessarily think that these numbers reflect what they're trying to do. I think that it just shows Fair. what they're succeeding okay. at. That's and fair. so I, I agree with you that they have been good off the rush because one super positive element of Greg Cronin's system is that they really encourage that weak side D to be a threat when the puck is going up ice. And we saw that against Vegas where Jamie yep. Drysdale got his, his goal that way. We've seen yep. Pavel Minchikov create countless opportunities that way. Yep. That Drysdale goal, we should definitely highlight that because we'll probably talk about the games a little bit more in depth just to highlight some of the good and the bad ones from it. But that Drysdale goal, I think was exactly what you want to see from Jamie Drysdale because it's, it's an odd man rush going the other way. And he jumps up in the play and gets, gets on his horse right away, bringing up horses again. Um, And, but instead of driving the net, he kind of recognized that there's a lot of space. And if he goes towards the net, he's going to crowd the forwards and just make himself easier to defend, to defend. So instead he kind of stays up high and then, and then once he gets the puck, uh, attacks the open space on the ice and gets a really good scoring chance out of it, ends up scoring a goal. And so that's what you want to see is understanding of spatial awareness out on the ice. It's not always about driving the net. Because if there's already someone driving the net, you're just making yourself easier to cover. And what Drysdale did there that was fantastic is he recognized that, stayed a little bit higher, and then jumped into the space when it was the right time. Because timing on rushes is everything there because it's about uh, jumping into that space when it's there. Um, So the theory I had that I wanted to get your take on. Okay. This is not meant to be pushing back on your thought process because I think it's a, a fair one, but it's... It's, I guess, a methodology. And so where I'm going with this is, for those that don't know, I'm a big Tottenham Hotspur fan. 
and they just hired a new manager going which to is, the season. Which is a soccer team. For which is a soccer know. team in the Premier League. Okay. They they hired a new manager, Ant Postacoglu, this year. For his first big crack at the Premier League. Has managed in Scotland, managed Australia. He's from Australia. So it was a massive, massive step for him. And there was a game against Chelsea this year where, the, where Spurs ended up going down, I think, down to nine men. So they had two men sent off. And they were still playing a high line defensively, which is essentially building up your line higher. You get hit on counters from time to time. It's very, very risky. And so when you're doing it with nine men, it becomes even more risky. And it's trying to play attack, trying to score. And when asked after the game, why weren't you more practical? Why weren't you more pragmatic to put it in hockey terms? Why didn't you play Randy Carlisle hockey of turtling in mm-hmm. that in that sense when you're down two men for mm-hmm. 30 minutes? He's like, that's just who I am, mate. Like, I'm I'm not going to change who I am. If we're down to f- five men on the pitch, we're going to keep playing that way and we're going to have a go at it and try to score some goals. And okay. And, and the the analogy I'm making here though is how much of it with Greg Crone is he was brought into this team because of the way that he's coached, the person he is, the methodology he has and what he stole Paverbeek on. And so well, that, how much of how much yes. of it well let me how much of it this would you want him to change who he is to the roster versus building in those the habits that he wants, the system he wants for the team this year, building those habits in the younger players, and then you f- form the team around those methodologies in the offseason. And instead of yeah. him changing his system this year and, and and doing that because it's not working, would you rather him be who he is? That, I mean, to steal Ange, this is just who he is, mate. And he's Australian. I got to do it. Not, not going to try an accent. But you bring in the coach for who they are. So... I think at a certain point he needs to just stay on that path, even if it's not necessarily working and build, form those habits, form the message for the younger guys. And then you build the team in the off season around that. So I don't think that that's a bad point. And that's something that I have thought of not in that way, but there's a few different directions to go with that. So mm-hmm. one is I agree with you that Paver or Paverbeek. Yes. Paverbeek hired Greg Cronin for a specific reason, because I think that the way that Greg Cronin is preaching to this team right now, his whole philosophy, the way he wants them to play. I think that that is how Pat Verbeek envisions the ducks playing when they are competitive. That is how he sees them. That's the identity he wants for this team. You know, you can hate it or love it, but that's what he wants, you know, in your face, physical, hard to play against, you know, all like all of those different catchphrases, except combining that with, high-skilled players. And so I think that's well and good. But also, I think that right now, the Ducks' current roster isn't... It is flawed, no doubt, but mm-hmm. it's not, like, bereft of talent. Like, they they have... They can compete. We've seen them compete. And I think that right now, the way that they're playing or the way they're being asked to play is kind of holding them back from competing as much as they could. Okay. So it's this it's this trade-off of do you want to and I'm not saying they need to completely change their system but and I'm sure that they are making tweaks game to game. I'm sure yeah. that that's happening. But mm-hmm. I just think that there's a give and a take of within a season you have to be a little bit flexible within within your own philosophy because like you know winning games is so important even though that there's nothing you know really yeah. at stake for this Ducks team like they're not a a cup contender they want to be competitive. They want to be in games. And 
if you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole with your system and the personnel you have, that becomes a clash. And so, yes, down the line, the the Ducks are going to work their roster to kind of mesh with what Greg Cronin wants and what Pat Verbeek wants. They're not there yet. There's a lot of leftovers of the Bob Murray era. But, you know, even like a player like Trevor Zegers, a player like Mason McTavish, a player like Leo Carlson, is that the kind of system that will best benefit them? Like, they're so good that it probably won't matter. But it's just interesting that there is a little bit of that kind of disparity between approach and personnel. And I don't know. Like, I just think that right now, I think that it's not on Greg Cronin because at the end of the day, the like I said earlier, the players are not executing. Whatever he's asking them to do, they are not doing it at all. Like they are getting torched. They are not playing well defensively. They yeah. are not playing. They are not playing well on the forecheck in the neutral zone. And so, I don't want to say I don't want to be a coach blamer right now. I don't think that this is on the coach, but I just do wonder: are some of the struggles tied to the approach to begin with? That's my well, only contention. No, that's fair. I I think I my whole thing was just like. Do you want him to change his approach for the team based on no. how they're playing, or do you want him to keep it because this is just who he is? And that was I, I, that that yeah. was the whole take in Discord that I felt like was best to to leave to here to elaborate on. And I think it it, it makes sense. Um, one thing I want to bring up though about uh about these last couple of games is I think we need to have a bit of a conversation about Mason McTavish. Mm. Am I going there? Uh oh. Is he gonna? So, is he gonna? Is he gonna pull out the the take? The take is McTavish has been good offensively. Like he has, he's helped out this team. He's helped score goals. He's helped create offense. He's he's been good in transition for this team, and I think that's where he's really thrived. Is when he's able to get out in the rush and get out uh, in transition. But his awareness in his own zone, and this is not meant to trash McTavish in a sense of he's a bad player. He is still twenty years old, or is he? Yeah, yeah 20. he's 20. He's 20. So there's still a lot of growth in this game in his game. But I think we need to adjust the conversation a bit around him of he's not this defensive stalwart for this <laughs> team. He is he just isn't. You look at a lot of the goals that are coming against, and a lot of them are coming off missed assignments, miss missed coverages in the defensive zone. And I think if you want to talk about Greg Cronin's man-to-man system, I think he's the one that's probably struggling the most with picking up guys in his own zone, whether it's on the rush and then doubling up on the same guy, leaving someone open in the middle of the slot to take a shot, whether it's leaving Leon Dreisaitl on the the edge, um, uh, on the edge wide open and not necessarily covering that. Um, I, I just think there's a whole lot within his game that is good, but there's a whole lot of growth that I think still needs to happen in his game, specifically in the defensive zone. And so I think there's a lot of conversation about him being this good defensive player, and I think a lot of that really centers around the fact of him being uh, a physical, more physical player, right? I think a lot of times people equate physicality to good defensively, but I think that I think that he needs to have his feet and eh, not held to the fire. But I just would like to see some of the same conversations that we have about we had about Trevor Zegers last year about Mason McTavish in some ways because that is. Uh, he's in a similar spot as Trevor Zegos was last year. And I think for his own sake and improvement, I think that that really needs to be focused on. And I think Greg Cronin in his post-game interviews has mentioned that there are things that need to be worked on and is for sure focusing on them. But there is improvement that needs to happen from him as the years go on. Yeah, and the the offensive production has really dried up. I mean, he didn't score a Fair. goal and he didn't score a goal in December. 
Um, he had three assists. He, had he was three hurt points. for part of it, but yes. Yeah, I mean, he still played like seven yeah. games. Yeah. So, I mean, he's... Yeah. The offense has kind of dried up. I don't think that that's necessarily all on him, though. I think he's still... Gener- like, the Arizona game, he was really setting up chances for yeah. Strom and Vetrano. And so, I think that... Re- like, So, I have a bunch of thoughts on this. I'll try to keep this concise, but I think he's playing hurt. Like, I don't think he's fully healthy because watching him, this this is pure speculation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not using it as an excuse because I think that some of the mistakes are mental. Like, they're not for a lack of physical, you know, physical ability, but he looks limited out there. Like, he's, you know, the stride has less burst in it. I see a lot more just kind of coasting and standing still. And maybe some of that is just because he's confused and doesn't know what to do, but my kind of image of Mason McTavish in my head is this kind of powerful skater, powerful stride using the body. And we've seen that at times like that, that reverse hit that he threw in the Arizona game mm-hmm. that was in a standstill position, but like the, the strength is still there, but the mobility seems limited. Did we ever actually know what his injury was? No. And now I'm trying to remember if it was upper body or lower body. I think it was upper body. Okay. But I okay. don't, don't quote me on that. Okay, well, I could be wrong, but it, he just seems limited. And so I don't, maybe he's playing through something that wasn't the the original injury. But all that aside, all that aside, the conversation, I 100% agree with you that the conversation around Mason McTavish needs to fundamentally shift because he has been talked about as this kind of ready-made NHL player who's going to look the part, come in, be poised and polished defensively right away. And like, there's just very little evidence of that. If you if you really truly watch him play and you kind of just avoid the narrative street approach, he makes a lot of mistakes and that's okay. He's 20 years old, he's learning, um, he's a developing player, but you know, missed assignments like you alluded to, um, you know, just blown coverages, you know, sometimes I don't want to say lack of effort, but just like doesn't understand when to go 100% and when not to. And so you put all that together, and that really hurts the the defensive reputation. Offensively, he's still creating, but just this whole notion that he is this kind of ready-made NHLer who's just years beyond Trevor Zegras in terms of his overall game. That's just not that's not what the that's not what the tape is showing right now. And and Zegras still has a ways to go defensively. He's had some Z- poor defensive is games. Zegras is not perfect, and I think no. his his defensive game has slipped a little bit as of late. The last couple games, yes. But I would also say that it just feels like for whatever well, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, but I would just I would just hope that the standard that Zegris is held to is not maybe fully applied to Mason McTavish, but at least partially applied. Like I think we've just reached that point where we can't just keep ignoring how this guy is sometimes actively hurting his team in his own zone. Yep. And I mean I'll I'll show him some grace. He's not exactly, I think, from a defensive perspective, being put in a spot to to thrive no. with Frank Vetrano and Ryan Strom on his wings. Neither of which are, are good well, defensive yeah. wingers. Frank Vetrano, I think, specifically is he's been awful. He's been really bad defensively, like destruct, destructive for his own like, team. I think you can make the argument he's been good on the penalty kill because he just kind of really gets out there and kind of doesn't ever stop skating while he's on the kill, but. But then and he stops skating at five on five. At so. five on five, and and, do, and and leaves himself in bad situations. So I, I think you can end up. I think Mason McTavish still does deserve blame for those defensive zone coverages, but I think he's not being put into the best spot ever. Well, not I saying think, that there's there's yeah. other other better people to put next to him in that situation, but I just don't think he's necessarily thriving defensively. Well, when you watch 
when you know a lot of these mistakes that are happening sometimes it's it's a it's a shockwave right it's a ripple effect so one mistake gets made then yeah. that causes one guy to have to overcommit and it's just kind of this this domino effect that well, where the and- the initial mistake causes a mistake three, four plays down the line. And well, so when you're, when you're playing man to man, that that's going to happen. Yep. And, and that's the thing is, you know, especially with that line, like Ryan Strom just, just doesn't really thrive in this four checking setup right now. And, um, I don't know, like, you know, even in their own zone, especially against Edmonton, even against Arizona, like it didn't even have to be an elite Edmonton team, although that didn't help. Like, I've just never seen... I, I think that w- when the season started, the Ducks were still getting hemmed in their, their own zone quite a bit, but we praised them because they didn't allow anything to the inside. You know, they were very good at keeping the middle of the ice kind of yep. like a, a, a sanctuary. The game against and, Nashville comes to mind. But the last handful of games, like, that is going away. Teams are getting into the slot, whether it's through their own play or the Ducks' mistakes, but the the slot is no longer this kind of off limits place. And that's a real problem because the whole point of this system is to prevent that. And if you can't even achieve that, you're expending a lot of energy defending to not get the result. And, you know, you can see it in their, even just their on ice metrics, the expected goals numbers are cratering as of late. So those are the things that worry me the most. I think that they are correctable, but yeah. Yeah. I I mean, this game against Edmonton, uh, the most recent game was their mm-hmm. worst game of the season at five on five from an ex- a defensive perspective. They yeah. allowed 3.73 expected goals against at five on five. And that is their worst total. The was this the 12th worst game defensively was against Vegas. The game that they ended up winning, which I think you could make the argument was an okay game for them. Out uh. just removing goal scoring that at five on five, they ended up being 2.41 to 2.51, 2.41 expected goals for 2.51 against. Um, it, and so you can make the argument that was an okay game from a five on five perspective with Gibson really playing well for them. Um, but they're still allowing those chances is kind of my point. They're still finding ways to to allow more high quality looks against. Sorry, Arizona. I, I missed this one. The game against Arizona was the third worst of the season from yeah. uh, expected goals against perspective. So they, they did I mean, not play well in that game. Three of their their twelve game, three of their twelve worst uh, expected goals against games at five on five have been in this last little stretch here. With two of the the worst three being there, the the Arizona game and the Edmonton game, uh, those two games back to back for this team have not been good. Yeah, and it's like. Yes, they've they're playing some good teams, but they've played good teams throughout the season. Like it's it's not as if this is anything yeah. new. You know, yeah. I mean yet yes, the Oilers look like a machine right now. But I think that the way that game, like the Oilers game, when I first saw the score, I thought, Oh, okay, like, you know, this probably won't be as bad as I think. You know, it's big scores sometimes that can be deceiving. But really watching it back, I thought that the first period the Ducks actually didn't play that badly. I thought they were, yeah, I thought the first period was a good period for him in that game. Yeah. But, but after that, it just, it went to complete, it hell. cratered, it, it cratered, it, it, it complete, it went to complete hell. And I mean, to be fair, like they are missing Troy Terry and, and that does matter, but they still have like a mostly healthy lineup. I no, would say. they're missing him and Carlson. Yeah. But like the, the blue line is healthy. You yeah. have Zegers and McTavish. Like, yes, you're missing players, but that, that's going to happen. And, yep. and so I, you can't just put it all on that. The fact that they got so, so handily outplayed. Yep. So, 
So before we keep going here, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. So the hockey season is here. And whether you're a diehard Ducks fan or just looking for a night of exciting sports entertainment, 714 Tickets has got you covered. But here's the best part. At 714 Tickets, they're not just about hockey. They've got tickets to all your favorite sports, concerts, and live events right at your fingertips. And the icing on the cake, they don't charge you a single dime in taxes or fees. That's right. At 714 Tickets, what you see is what you get. No surprises at checkout. And with their user-friendly mobile app, booking your tickets is a breeze. You can browse, select, and secure tickets within minutes. If you're looking to go to the Ducks versus Maple Leafs game tomorrow, a 6 p.m. start, I will be there. You can go to 714 Tickets. If you want to to go to the game Friday, which I believe is Pride Night, you can go to 714 Tickets and get yourself some tickets there. So you can shop online at 714tickets.com. You can call 714 Tickets or visit their office located right in front of Honda Center, and get 10% off uh, when you shop online using code CTP. So thank you so much to 714 Tickets. Go check them out. Uh, the no fees, it, it can't be beat. That's the fee. I mean, let's just say let's just say it like it is. Ticket fees are a ripoff. 100%. And 714 Tickets allows you to not get ripped off. And I know we're out of the ad read now, but yeah. I believe from what I've been told, they have tickets for all venues. Doesn't have to be local. So even if that's you're true. someone listening to this that's not local to Southern California, 714 Tickets has still got you covered. And you can yeah, still support do. the show there by using this code CTP at checkout. So you're going to be at the Simon Benoit Revenge game. Wow. Wow. That, <laughs> I was that... really, I was like, there. I, I was like, I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a former duck on the Leafs. I feel like I'm there's sure always enough. a former duck on the Leafs. Yeah. Well, it could like have it been the John happened. Klingberg revenge game but unfortunately he's yeah he's done um yeah yeah so anyway i don't want to keep belaboring this point but i just no. think that right now that the ducks are playing poorly no the, the, yeah the the, the, the players the, the players are not executing i think that the coaches aren't necessarily coaching like i don't think the coaches are coaching at their best either like the power play can we <laughs> Like I don't mind power play two. We'll, we'll go positive. We'll go positive after this. But go on. Here's what I want to say about power play two is that I can see why, and I'm assuming this is all Newell Brown. Like the, I think this is all Newell Brown because Greg Cronin said that Newell Brown is fully in charge of the power play, which kind of scares me a little bit. But whatever. Power play two is really good at breaking the puck out, gaining the zone, setting up, and keeping control of the puck. Those are the things that I would say that power play one, the Zegris McTavish, you know, Terry unit doesn't do so well. Here's the problem though, is that once they're in, that's where the good stops. Like they can get point shots. They can get, um, you know, some one timers that aren't necessarily threatening. It's just like, I will take the lesser volume of a Zegris unit for the higher quality, because at the end of the day, you're not there to win a volume battle. You're there to hit a, you're there to hit a home run. Like like power plays are not like five on five where you're trying to, you know, get as much quantity as you can. Like, yes, there is something to be said for quantity with the man advantage, but really it's about that one kill shot. And I just don't think that power play two, and I'm going to call them that I'm going back to that with Vetrano, Strom, Silverberg and, and company are good at that. And the fact that we're seeing these guys trotted out, out of TV timeouts that happened against Edmonton. And I, 
I almost threw something at the screen because I just didn't understand it. Well, and, did, and so did you, did you miss this then during, I think it was in the Arizona game mm-hmm. that Allie Lozoff brought up the fact that she talked to, to Newell Brown about it and he doesn't view it as there being a power play one or a power play two. They're both on equal footing and the and I believe that she, either she asked I can't remember if it was an interview or what she she was telling a story that he had told her earlier or something from earlier, um, but that the way that they dole out who goes out there first is who who had been more successful on the last shift, the last power play shift, and so they're doing it based upon that. So if one one power play unit is out there and they get more well, of the well, looks, how do we more define chances, success? More of the looks, more of the chances more shots or they score, they're going to be trotted out first, which I I understand the thought process, but I just wholeheartedly disagree with because we're overthinking it. 100%. We're, we're overthinking it. <laughs> you're, you're 100% overthinking it when you're doing that. And I think that even though that second unit has scored power plays uh, or scored power play goals, I think if you look at how those goals have been generated, those aren't necessarily going to be repeatable power play goals at the end of it all. Whereas tips, the, the way scrambles, yeah, the way that power play one is looking to generate chances, and granted, they've been. I think Drysdale has taken too many point shots uh, on power play one. Which, Drysdale which needs to be off. Might need to be off the power play. <laughs> Minchikov should be there over Jamie Drysdale, and Jamie Drysdale should probably be on power play two. It's probably the best way to go about well, the it. Pr- the problem with Drysdale right now is the breakouts are just, he's like doing his own thing and it's, it's alarming. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's my thing. I agree okay. with the, I, I, I don't hate the notion of, you know, a merit based merit based. Uh, yeah. Like, like Deuce is saying in our chat, merit based yeah. power play time, but also, you know, as a coach, sometimes you just have to stop playing games and put your best players on the ice. Like, yep. like, you know, it, I understand that it's merit, blah blah, all this, all that, but that's not gonna, that's not gonna make them play better. They are already playing better when they're on the ice. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, there are turnovers. Yes, there have been times where Pavel Minchikov, you know, turns it over at, at the point or makes a mistake. But these guys, to the naked eye, you don't need to be an NHL coach. And if you are an NHL coach, you probably see it even better. These guys on power play one: Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish. Leo Carlson went healthy. Pavel Minchikov, like these guys are just better. They are more talented. The chances of you scoring a goal are higher with these guys in the ice. It's it's obvious for anyone to see. And you know what? Good on Frank Vetrano. Good on Brian Strom, Adam Henrique, Jakob Silver, Camp Fowler for being able to set up in the one three one. Good on them for being able to enter the zone. But but they're just not those guys. You're not that guy, pal. That's they are not. That is not who they are. They have never been that. They will never be that. And that's okay. They're still great, you know, useful NHL players. But we've just got to stop playing games and play the best players. Like, it's really that simple. And it's crazy to me how even coaches at the highest profession, at the highest level, the NHL, are still doing these dumb patty cake tactics of like merit based blah, blah. Like, because you got to, you're just, are you, are you trying to win games or are you trying to like, well, I think I just just putting it out there like this, right? Yeah. The second the second unit is <clears throat> is right now Fowler, Strom, Vetrano, Henrique, Silverberg. Yep. Right. Those five guys. The other unit, which let's just go with when everyone, I guess when when Terry was still healthy, not when Carlson was healthy, but was is Zegris, 
Zegers, uh, Drysdale, Kalorn, McTavish, Terry. Like when you just lay out those five, those two different five man units. Yeah. Which one is, is more creative, more dangerous, going to create more yeah. offense for you. Just from the Nate, like just from even just looking at the quality of the two. Look units, at the back right? of their hockey cards. Look at the goals and assists every year. <laughs> like, like who's going to be better than who's going to be the better unit between like, these two. If it was at a point where Carlson's back, everyone's healthy and you split it up more and, and you're trying to divvy up that talent, then sure. I think you can make the argument for merit base if it's like Zegris and Terry on the second unit with Fowler. If all you things are mix, equal. And you yeah. mix it up a bit more. I think there there's an argument for merit base because you're really spreading out your top six talent throughout the lineup but or throughout your two power play units. But that's just not what it is right now. There is clearly a loaded up unit and a not loaded up unit with the talent. And so to not have the unit that's loaded up out there for over a minute is, is just poor usage of a power play. And there's no real other way to put it. Yeah, that's what I really that's what just grinds my gears so much is that you know, when you play on like a beer league team, let's say. I'm going to use this example. Or like you play a recreational sport where you pay to play, right? The guys who show up, who kind of participate in practice, the guys who do the right things, quote unquote, by simply being there and maybe checking some boxes, they get to play more because that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. You're paying, you're the ones that are participating. I get it. But this is the NHL. The, the 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 goal is to win games. The Ducks are not tanking this year. They are trying to be competitive. And it's great that they're doing the right things, the, the Strom unit, and that they're they're checking the boxes, that they're participating, that they're, they're well on their way to win the, the participation trophy. But it's about scoring goals, and it's about winning games. And at some point, you got to cut the bullshit if you're the coach and just start playing the better players. The, the first unit, the, the Zegers unit, is not egregiously bad to the point where you have to resort to this crap. So it just really, it just like, it just hurts that they're still doing this dumb shit even after certain Bef- coaches are gone where, you know, the, we heard more of this kind of well, crap. It, it like, kind of makes it really sound that it's a Newell Brown thing, right? Like, I like I do believe in, in, in merit-based coaching, of course. Like, the guys who work hard... The guys who are bringing it, those are the guys who should play. And most of the time, that's going to be your best players. But on the power play, it's just not like that. It's about it's about well, you're putting your best offensive skill on the ice and trying to score a goal. That is the only object. There is no message sending. There is no, like, I just don't, I really, truly don't believe in any of that. Before we, we get to the good game that they played, speaking of kind of all that, what would you make of the end of the game against Arizona where with the, the goalie pulled down to uh, um, Greg Cronin put out the fourth line. I did not see that. I did not yeah. make it to the end of that game. I mean, so ba- basically what ended up happening is I think that they, they pulled the goalie or I think the Zegris line was just out on the ice and I don't think they were really playing McTavish that much or, or they were getting him some rest and then they, sorry, they pulled the goalie. McTavish came onto the ice. The Zegers the line had just come off. And the Silverberg Carrick Johnson line was one of the better lines for the Ducks in that game. And so they threw him out. It got criticism. I'm just going to say this. I didn't actually mind it that much because mm-hmm. of the fact that Zegers had just, Zegers and Terry and Kalorn were just on the ice and had just come off. And the fact that Silverberg Carrick Johnson were one of the better lines at generating offense that, I didn't mind that decision. And that is one where I actually don't mind the merit base too much. Well, it's mainly five on because five. it's different. 
Well, six on five technically. Well, at that it's point, an extra attacker, yeah, but it, yeah. it's not a power play situation. Correct. And yeah. then and then Zegers and Terry and all those guys came on for the final minute and a half, basically at the end of it all, and Johnston came off the ice. So I didn't mind it from that I mean, perspective. It I got still flack. don't love that. I still don't love that. I mean, my philosophy is very much play your best players when in those situations, but I don't I don't hate well, that as much when it's not a power play. It was. It would have been. Silverberg, Carrick, Johnson, or it would have been Strom and Vetrano out there instead of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, no. Like, that, the fact... That the right decision was made. Or like you take a timeout. Like, the fact... Yeah, you could have taken a timeout. But Zegers and Terry had just come off the ice, and it was like three or four minutes left in the game, and they pulled him early, so they knew that there was going to be time. Yeah. I guess maybe that's a situation where you call a timeout and get those guys out there, but... Maybe. Yeah. But it got a lot of flack. I didn't mind it necessarily. So, there was one game, though, in this stretch where I thought the Ducks were extremely good. And they yeah. still, they, they did lose this game, but yeah. it was the game against Seattle. And mm-hmm. that was Trevor Zegers's return to the lineup, right? That was his first game back. You did a whole breakdown of every single shift <laughs> of Trevor Zegers for our Patreon. It was nearly an hour long video. Go check it out. If you're on the Patreon, if you want to see it, it's amazing. It's really, really good. Like I'm oh, giving thanks. you your flowers right now. Flowers I've, are being, my I've back watched, is being padded. I have watched the whole thing. Zegers for sure had some some poor games, but that was not that, one of them. That was not one of them. That was I think he was the best player on the ice for the Ducks in that game. That was the game that he scored the the Michigan goal, which we have not talked about yet. We talked about it on the Patreon episode, yeah. but scored that Michigan goal and probably was the smoothest lacrosse style goal that he has scored. And probably most impressive one he scored. The most difficult, yeah. So far this season, or so far in his career. And the Ducks played extremely, extremely well. Like, everything that Greg Cronin wants from the team, that's what they did in that Seattle game. The the hard forecheck causing turnovers, creating offense. The the fact that out in the rush, the Zegers line was constantly getting chances. They weren't really defending very much because they were constantly causing turnover and going the other way. Alex Kaloran, I think you said this in the video, could have had a hat trick. In that he, game, he missed an open net. So, yeah, he could he have missed, at least had one. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, this was an excellent game where uh, Joey Decord just played really well for, for Seattle. And that that will happen from time to time. But those types of efforts is what that that's what the Ducks have needed over this last little stretch. And they have not gotten it in yeah. these last couple of games. Well, there's been so, yeah, to, to focus on that game. That's, I think, maybe something I should have done a better job of highlighting earlier is that when Greg Cronin's system is really humming, like, it looks fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. and I thought that that game was a great encapsulation because, you know, th- they were they were all over it on the forecheck, creating turnovers. There was, you know, a lot, you know, Trevor Zegers to just key in on him. Like, the, the passing excellence that he displayed in that game, you know, cross ice, always looking to that weak side, and, you know, get, getting Alex Kalorn just some some grade a scoring chances that just did not get converted repeatedly. Um, yeah. The ducks were creating in that game. They, they should have scored more goals than they did. Um, so, and it's, sorry, it's, I, it's, I, it, it's not, it's not all bad. Like no, there's definitely I, a lot of good in there. And I want to jump in on this note because there was a lot of criticism of Alex Cohen for missing those chances. And yeah. I think we should probably flip that a little bit where yes, you want to see him score those. But it also takes him getting into those positions. And it takes a player that has high hockey IQ to get into those positions to get those chances when you're playing with a guy like a Trevor Zegers, right? It, it takes having that hockey IQ to continually get chances. And eventually, Alex Kalorn is going to score goals in that situation. 
And so I know he's gotten a lot of flack. There's been a lot of criticism of him. But I think that game showed what he brings for the Stucks roster, even though he did not score in the game. Yeah, no, he he was definitely doing a good job of, of getting open, you know, finding that soft ice. And that is a skill. I mean, I think that that's, that's kind of the unfortunate thing about this sport is that, you know, when you're, we all do it. Like when we're watching the game, we're only looking at the puck. We're looking at where the puck is and we're looking at how it's moving around. But to get open, to get into into areas where you can score, it takes a lot of timing. It takes a lot of smarts. It takes, you know, count, like it, it's not, it is a skill. And Alex Kalorn has that skill of getting open. And so, yes, he is paid very handsomely. Yep. He's, he's paid a lot of money. Yep. to score goals and that is his job and i totally sympathize with the frustration from fans of you know what the heck but at the same time i would definitely look at it as an encouraging sign that he is getting open and that trevor zegris is finding him in those spots like those two are definitely forming some chemistry i would prefer that type of night from alex Klorn than one where he just doesn't get yeah. any chances so he where he's score. on the outside yeah like give me those types of games because he's going to score more goals than he's not if he's given those types of opportunities yeah, and um, oh shoot, oh yeah, and I, I was also gonna say that like even in the games, like even the game against uh, Edmonton and the game against Arizona, like I thought that Zegers w- was still doing some good things. Yeah, um, you know, like on the forecheck with with Max Jones, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you know we don't have to talk too much about that being a thing. Um, even like Mason McTavish, you know, we've harped on him a lot, but I thought that against Arizona, I mean, I think we might have mentioned it already, but he was doing a good job of creating. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should probably talk about the Michigan goal. Go for it. The I floor mean, is yours. So the funny thing is that in real time watching the game, it was spoiled for me because I was looking at our Discord chat and and someone I just saw like Seagrass in all caps and I was like, me. oh my god, what what just happened? No, it wasn't you. It it was uh, uh it was a uh, Dazian in our chat. Okay. But um, so it was spoiled a little bit. I was still shocked, like the fact that it happened the way he did it. But then doing the Zegers video and watching back every shift and kind of going through the the chronology and the timeline of the game, I had I don't want to say I'd forgotten about it, but I just wasn't thinking about it. And so and it happened I think in the third period. It happened pretty late. Yeah, they were down two goals and it happened with I think five or six minutes left in the game, something like that. Yep. And so I all of a sudden it happens and I had forgotten about it and I I kind of got that feeling back of like oh my god that just happened. Like I was sorry they were down. Yeah, it was three three to one at that point. Sorry. And yeah. like really on that shift, you could really see him just like like a hawk, like just kind of stalking his prey. You know, he he was kind of circling behind the net, trying to get the puck from Troy Terry, yelling Timmy. Um, very clearly, you can hear it in the in the video. Um, and so he was definitely looking for that kind of back of the net back wall opportunity, not necessarily for the Michigan. And then it was just kind of a weird play, you know, with with Pavel Minchikov along the wall comes in incredibly incredibly difficult to pick up the puck like that on your toe because you have so much less surface area to pick up the puck with you know it's just the toe of the blade it's not like the full heels to middle of the blade and the fact that he did it like that on the fly i had forgotten that trevor zegras has has had some unsuccessful michigan attempts in his nhl career but man, his batting average on those must be oh, very, high. very high. It must be yeah. like like he does not mess around with those. He is not doing those willy nilly, and so it's just it's just incredible the fact that he does this. Oh yeah, on a semi consistent basis, and he makes it look easy, and he rarely, if ever, messes up. 
and that it was a huge goal in the game. I mean, yeah. it gave it gave the Ducks life, and that it's yeah. an effective play for him. And I do feel like part of him knows that that is part of his reputation as a player, as this kind of you know trick shot player. And I do think that when he's asked about it, he's almost like sheepish, like he doesn't want to play into it. Mm-hmm. And so he's very serious about it. And I think that that's maybe part of his goal is I want to make this, yeah. I want this to be shifted. Well, the perception from being a trick shot to just being a good hockey play. Yeah. The conversation around it of people saying like, they're not cool anymore. Things like that. It's like, what? Like these still don't happen that often. Yeah. It's still so cool to see when it happens. Yeah. And especially live, like live. And it's just, it's a good hockey play at this point. Like the NHL is a better place because these goals are happening. Goalies can seal the post and seal down low so often that mm-hmm. it's a good hockey play because there's space upstairs on a wraparound. Like that yeah. is where a lot of times space at, ends up coming is up high. So it's a really smart play to do that because the way a goalie has to stop that, they have to shove their head into the post basically. Yeah. Like you basically or, have or to stay like, standing. Just and, don't and, go down. Yeah. And, and like, that's the only way you can do that. And that leaves open the bottom of the net. And you know what? If you're good enough, you're able to recognize that as Z- if uh, you're Trevor Zegers, you're able to do that same shot, but keep it low. Yeah. Like there's nothing that says that has to go top, right? Like that can stay low. And so we never say like scoring chances aren't like those need those shouldn't happen anymore. Front net chances shouldn't happen anymore. We never yeah. talk about that with any other shot except for this type of lacrosse goals. And so yeah. that conversation to me is just so dumb that's happening. Like it's a good hockey play. It's really cool to see. What I actually thought he was doing though when I saw it happen live in real time because you see him go from behind the net. I saw him turn over the, the blade of his stick. Yeah. I thought he was doing the thing where you put the toe of your blade on top of the puck. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what is he doing here? That would not be a good hockey play. <laughs> and then I think that's like illegal, score- actually. I don't think it's illegal. To put to put your stick your stick blade on top of the puck? The toe like, of your the toe of and, your blade on top of the puck and move it. Yeah, I don't think pre- that's what I'm pretty what? sure because cause you're immobilizing the puck. And you're not allowed no. to immobilize the puck. Like picture essentially how he picked up the puck. Yeah. And then just push it down on it and you move it side to side like that. I don't yeah. think that's illegal. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Is it? What? I don't. It's because you're you're freezing the puck, basically. How are you freezing the puck, though? Someone can. It's no different than the puck just being on your blade. I agree, but I'm pretty sure that that's the reasoning. I mean, if if that's freezing the puck, then picking up the puck should be freezing also. I don't think it is. I mean, that's a fair point. Like, like, like that is, like, that is, that I, is I, a... I, I don't think putting your toe on the puck like that is free is freezing it. Well, anyway, I'm pretty sure that that's, that's a rule. Okay. Like, I'd have to go back and look not really relevant for this conversation yeah. though. Regard, regardless, such a cool goal goal. Enjoy Trevor's it. Egress is very good. Trevor's egress is very good. Did you see Mason McTavish try it? No, in, I think it was the Arizona game. He tried it. He tried it. Oh my gosh. Un- unsuccessfully. I but need you to go back he, and look. He, he picks it up and tries to go for it, but uh-huh. doesn't end up getting the puck on his stick. Oh, I'm so mad I missed that. Because I, I didn't think, watch I the think, third period of the I Arizona think it game. Was, I think it was in the Arizona game. Oh, ask, ask, ask in Discord. I can't remember exactly when it was. But yeah, McTavish went for it. And the response in our Discord was, "He's not that. you're not that guy, pal. Well, I was going to... I respect I was, it. I respect it, and I respect the infectiousness of it. And that just also goes to show it's a good hockey play at times. Like... Yeah, like picking the time for it is can surprise a goalie. Um, all right, want to get to questions or anything else? Um, I do want to highlight that I think John Gibson is playing very well. 
You oh, know, he's dis- been fantastic. Despite this, the seven goals against Edmonton, I really truly think only the seventh goal was a, a bad goal. The rest of them was just, just awful defending. I'd push back on a couple more, but yes. I mean, leaving Leon Dreisaitl. Like, oh, that's not the one I'd push back on. Really. No, no, but but here's what all of them have a very blatant defensive breakdown. Like, I'm just, you cannot really blame him for any sure. of those goals. The only one I blame him on is the fact that when the puck was behind the net and he's turned around facing the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but that's still kind of like a weird play. Yeah. And also, again, 100%. Like, guy left wide open in front. Like, Sure, yeah, no doubt, but still, he was turning around. Okay, so we'll like, call it two goals. Yeah, two goals. You sh- you should be able to win a game with yes. with with uh, only two earned goals. And so, yeah, like the Leon Drysaddle goal, it pissed me off so much because Leon Drysaddle is along the goal line, hanging out the corner. Like that is a shot that he can score from. That is a that is a place that he can score from. That he has scored from. And the fact that Mason McTavish and Frank Vertrano, everyone on the ice, like just forgot about him and didn't account for him or were accounting for him, but kind of like we're cheating to the middle. Like you got to know who you're playing against. you got, mm-hmm. you got to like act upon the fact that like, I'm sure they talked about this. I'm sure they're aware of this. And for whatever reason in game, it just like brain fart. And so where was I going with that? Anyway, all this to say, John Gibson is playing very well. I don't put the Edmonton game on him at all. Um, and some of the saves he made against Arizona, and also against Vegas, like Vegas, he was so good. Vegas, he was. I mean, I think John Gibson should have been the first star of the Vegas game. I don't yep. think he was even getting given any star in no, that game. He, he should have been first star in that game. I mean, he really willed them to victory. I mean, they gave him a nice kind of head start with the goals, but I really think the Ducks just kind of survived the the last forty minutes. That game um, should have been a lot closer. Yeah, and then you look at the Arizona game. I mean, the the save where he goes left to right, post to post, and as he's down, he has to put in another another push just to get across and then makes like a blocker save. Like he's he's really dialed in right now. And I guess we'll see where he ends up to end the season. Yep. All right. Let's get some questions. So uh, we're going to start with our Patreon Discord. So go to patreon.com slash crash spawn. Support us at the $2 tier to get access to the Discord. Uh, you also get it with the elevated tiers in addition to the dis- uh, added content. Uh, so we'll start with DeFrenzy. Uh, who, or sorry, we'll start with Johnny. You said, if the Ducks are to trade a surplus defenseman in the system, who would be the best trade target? Sorry if this has been asked in the past. Uh, who would be the best trade targets? Yeah, it's hard to say just because I don't it's really kind of, think there's anyone on the market right now that I yeah. would say is a good target, right? It's kind of a, it, it's kind of a dynamic thing where you see a situation in a, on a particular team with like an RFA or a pending UFA just kind of, become become a situation where the player wants to leave and you can't always necessarily predict those you know like i think that the matthew kachuk thing was kind of out of left field you know timo meyer kevin fiala all these different examples like some of them you could see it coming like with timo meyer but you just kind of have to keep your powder dry for when those opportunities come about yeah like i'm looking at the trade board right now from the athletic and I mean, there's not really anyone necessarily on here that I think really fits the window. I mean, Philip Broberg, but that's training a defenseman for a defenseman. Yeah. So that, that doesn't really make mm-hmm. any sense whatsoever there. Um, I mean, because it, it's a whole lot of older older guys, basically. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't really anyone as I just scanned through the 30 names there that really 
uh, intrigues me at all. No, I mean, I mean like I said, I think it's going to be a player who kind of comes out of left field and, you know, gets ends up getting traded, but that wasn't like a, a shoe in like a, a trade list kind of guy. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm looking and, and there's no one on I mean, this the trade team, list that fits. The team that really needs defensive help is Columbus and they have a lot of forwards. They have a lot of young forwards. And yeah. so maybe, maybe that that would Kent be a Johnson. Kent Johnson. They don't seem to love Kent Johnson. I mean, when did Cole Sillinger change his jersey number to four? I was about to say Cole Sillinger is also an option. Like, I don't know if they're trading those guys, but the point is, is that if they're trying to address a weakness, the Ducks have a lot of those guys. And I think that clearly the Ducks need more offensive yeah. top end talent. So yep. that could be a potential dance partner. D-Rock asked us, which of Zegers' three goal uh, lacrosse goals do you think was his best? I think the one tonight, or the one against Seattle. Yeah, I don't think it's even close. To be quite yeah. honest with you, I mean the 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 one against Montreal, like it was really nicely executed, but something about there being no fans, yeah, just, just kind of takes the wind out of it. Yeah, and then the one against Arizona was, I don't say lucky, but was kind of like weird wrapping around Milano. Yeah, yeah. So weird. I I think it's absolutely the one against Seattle. Yeah. D friends said, "How many years now have the Ducks been tanking? Realistically, how long does it take to do a full rebuild the right way? Like, does Bob Murray's years of incompetence no, not count towards the tank years?" Um, hmm. go ahead. I would say that they definitely tanked last year. They definitely tanked last year. They definitely tanked the year before. Well, no, actually, no. We said last year they weren't trying to tank. So I, correct. Yeah, two years. I think two years ago was the only full-on sell everything. Full on tank. But I think from the perspective of being okay with being bad, I guess. I don't know. Because I don't think they were not not trying to make it better. Not firing the coach. Not firing the coach coach, not different things. Like they built the team not to be like horrible, but once things went awry, they weren't like Verbeek wasn't trying to pull them out of it, I guess is the best way to put it. So I think you could say last year was a tank year based upon that. But I think that those are the only two seasons that you could say the ducks really tanked. Like outside yeah. of that, Bob Murray, Bob Murray wasn't tanking in any of his seasons. He didn't really sell assets that much. He sold a couple of guys at deadlines for a couple of things um, here and there. Um, I think Bob, Mur- but though, if we're talking about like rebuilding and, and windows and timeline of rebuilding, like I think Bob Murray's like, whether you want to or not, if you're bad and getting high draft picks, like that's going to help your rebuild. Yeah. And it's that's just, what they've done. It, it's not going to necessarily be as quick as you would want because you're not getting the additional assets that you can flip. I think LA is a, a prime example of a team that was able to, they, they had no problems once this all started selling Alec Martinez, selling off uh, Jake Muzzin. They, they sold a lot of these players and we could talk about whether their window is as good as the ducks because, but that's more so because their players and their prospects haven't hit in the way the ducks ones have from their higher top 10 picks, but they, they acquired all those assets and they've taken those assets and they've used them to go and get players when they've needed it. Yeah. Like Brock Faber flipping him to get Kevin Fiala. Like just like, yeah, so that's a prime one. There is. Yeah. You, you have this surplus surplus of assets as a result of that. And I mean, look at, look at the amount of D that we constantly talk about with the stuck system. How many of those are Murray versus Verbeek picks? With Verbeek being here, what two drafts? 
Yeah, there's a lot of them that are Verbeek picks. There's there's a lot of them that are Verbeek picks, and we have two drafts for it. Whereas but Murray the, had what three or the, four. The thing though is that there's not really a set blueprint for for rebuilds. Like no. look around the league, look at how many teams have had like the Buffalo Sabers, the Ottawa Senators, the Arizona Coyotes. Like it takes a it can take a really long time to fully well, maneuver your way out of it. But then again, it's really hard to compare because every situation is completely different. Every situation is different. And I think it's about I, the, the tearing down is the easy part. It is identifying and building the right pieces in the build. That's the tough part. And that's mm-hmm. where the ducks are right now. The ducks are in the, they aren't in the, the break it down, tear it down to the walls. They're just not in that situation. They are in the build it up situation. And now is the time that they need to be uh, finding pieces to try to right the ship, not necessarily staying poor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. These are kind of responses to that. So Chubbs Pierce has said, how do you guys see the lines when healthy? We we'd, would love to get our three young studs at center and roll four lines. He's saying Henrik Carlson, Terry, Kalorn, McTavish, Strom, Vetrano, Zegris, Leeson, Jones, Lundstrom, Carrick. So we I talked hate, about this a little bit last episode, I think. I don't hate the idea of rolling the three centers, but I really don't like the wingers for Zegris there. And and I also think that this lineup construction as Chubbs Peterson has it here is probably what I would do. Like honestly, it's like in terms of if I were spreading out the, the centers. I would swap Leeson and Terry, but sure. Yeah. But it just looks a little it feels like every line is slightly worse. <laughs> Like it feels like you're you're spreading it spreading it out almost a little too much to me, and so I might keep the three the big three of Zegers, Carlson and McTavish up in the top six. That might be what I would do, but I I just think that you need to rebuild the bottom six. <laughs> like I just I don't think that there's like a magical combination of forwards on this team that would kind of solve a lot of the things. Like a lot of times in years past with the Ducks or with different teams, I've often felt like, hey, there is a clear-cut, not solution, but there is an optimal way to organize these lines. And I feel like with this Ducks team, there's two ways of going about it, the spread the wealth approach and the loaded up approach. But I feel like either way, you don't fix the problem of your bottom six just not being awesome. And so I'm just kind of throwing my hands up and saying, if you want to do it that way, go ahead. But I'm not... I don't have real strong feelings towards it like I have in years past. Yeah. Although I, I guess the one thing I would change about this is like, like I want to get Brock McGinn in there on this in this current one. I don't know who you take out though. Max Jones, take out Max Jones, Sam Easy. Carrick. Easy. Sam Carrick's looking a little rough as of late. Yeah. So, um, also we haven't mentioned, but Carlson's out four to six weeks, it's dating back to that Calgary game. I think right was that. Mm-hmm. Was yeah, that prognosis four to six weeks for Carlson. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what? Just thinking it through right now. I think we're two weeks. Yeah. Into it, so it goes by back quick. soon. Yeah. Halfway there. Um. Let's see. Bring uh. BPH. We're going with that for for you, bud. Uh. Saying we're not a playoff team. Uh. Who's going and who's staying at the deadline and what are we getting back slash looking for? I think everyone must go. I, th- I think we've. What we've... What does everyone must go mean though? Name the players. I think Adam Henrique must go. Okay. I think Jakob Silverberg, like if you can get something for him, great. 
Shout him out for having a good season, though. He's having a good season. Yep. I kind of would rather see him just retire a duck yep. than trade him for, like, whatever, fourth-round pick. I but I think agree. Adam Henrique, you must trade him. Yep. I mean, man. Labushkin definitely gets traded. I, I was going to say, if you don't intend on qualifying Max Jones, do you trade him? Ooh. Max like, Jones could you could get you. Like, is is Max Jones the this season's um Oh, uh, I know uh, who you're about to, um what's Tanner what's Tanner Chano? Yeah. No, I don't think he's as good as Tanner Chano. I, I don't yeah. either, but just, well, just he, throwing it out there. He's an Club RFA control. with He's an RFA with Arbrights, which you know Verbeek just utterly despises. There will um, be club control though for whatever team he goes to, which that is that is the exact reason why. Oh man, now it all makes sense. Now it all makes it. sense why he's on the top line. <laughs> It's not is, about merit. Is, is is this a Max Jones showcase? <laughs> Max Jones. I actually, I don't hate that. I think that he actually has. He I, actually, I don't he's, he, he's not getting you a first round pick, but what if, what if, what if I, cheap club control? I mean, there's an argument to be made that he, his contractual status makes him, if he's a third round pick on talent, he becomes a second round pick in terms of value. Yep. There's an argument. Yep. So yeah, I would try to trade him if you don't see him in your future plans, which like if I'm just if I'm just speaking if I'm speaking for myself, I would say that I like the way he's played. I do think he fits Cronin's system very well. I just I just think you can upgrade at that spot and so I would trade him. Um Sam Carrick is a UFA and I just don't Is there like a future there? You know? Like I I, think, I, feel like, I think he could get you something. I feel like we've reached the uh what are we? relationship conversation with sam carrick again i like i like what he's brought this year but yeah i like it but i'm also just he's with, a fourth he's a fourth line forward you know with with the bevy of or with the amount of defenseman defensive prospects coming does urho vakanainen get moved he's had a good season he's an rfa with arbrights which for beak despises um I mean, there's an argument that you trade Vakaninen, you trade Lundestrom, you trade Jones because they're all RFAs that don't necessarily fit the plans of the team. I'm not saying you do it, but he's a guy that you think about it for sure. Ilya Lubushkin is is gonna get traded. I yeah. think that that's for sure happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I would I would go pretty hard on just because I think that the biggest thing for the Ducks is you're you're trying to kind of move out these pieces that are blocking up some of your younger guys. What about Brett Leeson? I think Brett Leeson gets re-signed. I think you should re-sign Brett Leeson. Okay. That, that was my question. No, I, okay. And like Bo grew, I think if you trade some of these other pieces, you can bring him back. So I would keep him around. Um, What do you do with Isaac Lindstrom though? RFA arbitration eligible. I think you see what he can do this year. Does it just depend I, I, on a how fourth, he plays? A, I think he can be a good fourth line, uh, fourth line center for this team long term. When did Isaac Lundstrom become twenty four? That's I feel like that. I feel like that happened fast. Did we do a podcast? Were we podcasting when he was eighteen? Well, yeah, he was drafted in twenty eighteen. We did we cover? I they, yeah wow yeah no I don't um, think we were doing the podcast yet. But that was yeah. the first. Oh no, it was because we started in 2017. Oh my god! Now I feel old. What did we? What? When did we start? We started yeah, in we, 1718. Yeah, we did. You're right. So 
Wait, did we? Yes, we did. Yeah, 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 we did. I had to we think started in seventeen eight. We started in seventeen eighteen. He was drafted that summer, and I remember we had like a whole Anaheim calling article about him. And yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember our, I remember our Anaheim calling Slack melting down over the pick. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's twenty four. He just turned twenty four, but still, that I feel like that happens so fast. Yeah. What the heck? That that happens. Uh, all right, I'm, let's keep I'm going old. through questions. Um, Olaf is berserker said, what should be the ducks new year's resolution? Play better defense. Like stop screwing up in your own zone. Stop screwing up on the back check. Like just, just give yourself a, give yourself a freaking chance to win. Like they're not doing that right now. Let's just start there. So that's for the players organizationally. I mean, I think if we're talking about the GMs, uh, pounce when you can. I was going to say the GM's chair, but I'll call it the GM's balcony. If you know, you know. The GM's balcony. Um, hockey stick. But uh, you got to you gotta beef up the, the bottom six forwards. It's just very clearly a weakness right now. You, you have to do that and then pounce on opportunities for star talent. Yep. Pouncing on opportunities for star talent is, is my biggest New Year's resolution. Yeah. Uh, Goose said you have to re-sign one of A, Jack Silverberg, B, Sam Carrick, C, Brock McGinn, and D, Ilya Bushkin to a two- to three-year deal. Which one do you sign and why? Oh, that's easy. Brock McGinn. Is it Brock? It's easily Brock McGinn. Is it Brock? Yeah. Do you um, agree? He's 29. I mean, he's yeah. the thing is, he's still got another year on this deal. So are we... This, I, I think just it... In two the to abstract? three more. Yes. Yeah, no, it is Brock McGinn because I think Silverberg looks good, but I don't know what his plans are beyond the season and the other names Bro- are the are the other names. Brock so. McGinn is the same age as Ilya Bushkin. He brings more to the table than Ilya does, I believe. And Sam um, Sam looks a little tired to me. And he's thirty one. Yeah. So so uh Hey Odiflo said, Do the Ducks re sign Urho Vakanainen during the offseason or look to trade him before the deadline? He beat us to it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean it's a fascinating, fascinating conversation because he has played very well. Like he he's putting up great numbers. He looks good, but the Ducks have so many left shot D. It's clearly a problem right now because I mean like Jackson Lacombe's losing playing time, which I think is not great. I'd rather see Jackson Lacombe getting time to develop than Earl Vakaninens. He's twenty five. You know, what's the real upside there? You have Olin Zellweger that you're trying to get into the lineup, so. I'm talking myself into it. I think you you kind of should. Yep. Just just to clear out the deck chairs a little bit. Yep. Yep. Uh, Plant Ranch sixty nine RIP said, "Do you revisit Zegers on the wing versus center? He seems such uh, much better utilized as a center, but saw D Rock's practice lines had him as a left wing again." Well, he's saying, "Can you revisit? Does is he? Does that mean he wants us to discuss that?" Uh, a little bit, but I mean, just do you do you think that center versus wing? I just don't think it matters. I'm kind of at the point where I just don't think it matters with Trevor Zegers. I think Zegers is going to do Zegers things no matter what. I think the game that I did the video on, I think he was playing at center. He he's been great. playing at, He's been playing at center every game so far. Yeah. So I also not, I'm not calling out um, our good friend Derek's credibility at all. Are you, are you, are you po- about to poke him? But I do wonder if maybe Zegers will still be the center tomorrow. Yeah, we'll so, see. We'll see. Uh, BPH said, I will ask this again in the future, I'm sure, but we are one and a half years into Ryan Strom's five-year contract. Is this an awful signing? 
Let me let me ask the question a different way. As of right now, based on the returns, so you can't look at it just in terms of when it was signed. Is this a good signing? So, wait, say that one more time. Is this a good was has this been a good signing no. for the Ducks? Yeah. So, awful we can debate it, but I think it's pretty clear it hasn't been a good signing. Like I just the level of play that he's brought on both sides of the puck, there have been good flashes. I'm not taking it all away from him and you know, this season he's got 20 points in 35 games. Like he's he's playing kind he's of He's playing at, better than he did last year. He's playing better. Like he's already at half the points he had last year in less games. Like he's on a better pace. He's also a little stick snake bitten from a goal scoring perspective, but I just don't think that what he's doing is necessarily commensurate with the contract. So no, I do think that it's one that's going to age fine due to I just, I the just cap rising, think, but using that argument for it is not always the best. I just think that he doesn't, he is one of the biggest names that comes to my mind when I talk about system versus personnel he just doesn't fit really what they're trying to do on the forecheck. I really just don't think he fits that at all. Like he, he has very good games offensively, but just in terms of the full ice impact, it's just not quite there. So not a member of the Ryan Strom fan club. I like how he, like it sucks because I like how he played. Like there's a lot in his game that I really like, like with did the you, puck, especially, but did you not just, see that shirt? No. John Gibson has been wearing a shirt during interviews that says Ryan Strom fan club and Allie, oh. I guess got a, got a hold of one. Allie's doing whatever she can to give John Gibson some personality. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Why does, why does Luke keep putting hat in our chat? He just keeps saying hat. Cause I asked him if he would put respect on my hat game with the hat I'm wearing. And now he's just saying hat. Is that, is that respect to just keep repeating the same thing over and I over? I don't know, actually. Uh, Shakelink said, no question, just enjoy listening every week and get excited when I hear the intro song. Keep bringing real in the take. So thank you so much. Shout out to you. Yep. All right. Now we're going to jump to to Twitch and YouTube. So if you're listening on your favorite podcast services, you can find us at twitch.tv slash crashspawn. We go live typically on Mondays at 8 p.m., but it's kind of been bouncing around a little we'll, bit We'll here. get back into the groove now that we're out of the, the holidays. Yep. But you can find us there. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, and it helps out more than you can imagine. And you get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. You can be just like our good friend Ken Pafu, who resubbed for, want to take a guess of the number of months? Shit. For, for uh, our good friend Tony. Hold on. We've been doing this six years, something like that. 12 times six is 48. I'll go, I'll go 47. 44. Oh my god, I was so close. <laughs> the message he gave was say nice things about Silverberg. He's played well. I we've yeah. we've we've said nice things unprompted about Silverberg. Yeah. Yeah, we so. have. And so uh find us there at twitch.tv slash crashpawn. Or you can find us at YouTube. Yes. Everyone listening to this, I know you have a YouTube account. Everyone has a YouTube account. Everyone and their mother have a YouTube account. <laughs> Go to youtube.com slash crashpond. Find us, subscribe to our channel there, like our videos there. Check them out on there. It does help out more than you can imagine. And so we got a question. Start throwing your questions in the chat. We got a couple in our YouTube chat right now. Uh, Muhammad Zegra said, are we in agreement that not taking Gavin Brindley 33rd overall was a mistake? Uh, are we talking about the 23 draft? I think it was this past draft, yes. What is he? Ha is he having a good World Junior? Let me guess. I have not paid attention to the World Juniors at all. Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, Canada's 
not even going to medal this year, which is pretty depressing. So I would assume I mean, that Gavin Brindley has had that, but let's I'll, I'll take a look at elite prospects. I real mean, quick to see I'll say doing. this. Gavin Brindley was on my list of guys who I would have taken at that spot. So I get it. But I also am. I think Martin Madden has earned the benefit of the doubt. He has eight points in five games in world juniors. Yeah. He's having a world junior. My opinion was not based on he's, that. He's at a point per game at the University of Michigan. Yeah, like he's having a really good year. He looked really good last year. He, in a way, I would say fits kind of the way the Ducks are trying to play, minus the size. Um, yeah, he is who I would have taken. Maybe that's who Martin Madden wanted, and he got overruled by Pat Verbeek. Who knows? But I'm willing to let it play out. I'm willing yep. to let it play out. And speaking of World Juniors, like I said, have not paid that much attention but from what our good friend Mitch Brown has posted about some of the data he's tracked, uh, Rodwin Dionicio yeah. could be an absolute gem of a pick for the Stucks franchise. Like yeah. he, he is tracking as being a really good player, and the Ducks may get rewarded for for taking a risk on an overage player in this dra- in the draft in the what was it fifth round? Yeah, yeah, fifth he's, round. He I he's a very interesting player, and I'm very. I'm just fascinated to see if he actually ends up hitting because he's just kind of a unicorn the way he plays. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. And so Alex Olvera said a uh, question. I know we're not there yet, but when do you start getting concerned about the Verbeek plan? Two years of attempts to improve the team and a new coach. And it hasn't been pretty. I mean, I think it's fair to be somewhat concerned just with this recent, these recent struggles, but at the same time, like we were just saying, you know, progress can be ugly progress takes time progress like progress doesn't mean all of a sudden you're successful progress can look like a lot of failure before you ultimately succeed so i think that we need to be patient i think that if you look at the big big picture pat verbeek has brought in a lot of young talent i think he's made good coaching hires i think that there's a lot of good that's still going on i do I think the real test will be when it's time to kind of redesign the the depth of this roster mm-hmm. offensively. But I, I think you've got to exercise a little, ca- a little caution here and a little well, patience. And I also think a lot of people, I think when you have that, and we also have this question kind of in the same boat from Connor Juniper said, when can we start admitting that the Ducks are treading a bit of water during this stage of the rebuild? It seems like there's a bit of incompetence at all levels, contract special teams on ice. And I, I think a lot of people, when you have that type of statement, because I think that they kind of go hand in hand, that comment from Alex and Connor comment from connor and i get where people are coming from you you look at the results that have happened right mm-hmm. and you get focused on wins and losses and in some ways you kind of miss the bigger picture of what's happening right and how mm-hmm. they're actually playing and i think it in some ways it can be more frustrating when they're in these games and they're losing them like they are but when you look at the the way that they're playing this year versus last year it's just night and day there like, is progress. It, 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 like it's really just not even comparable. You look at the stats, you look at the underlying metrics, you look at the micro stats. Like just watch Corey, the games. <laughs> like well no, I know, but just yeah, yeah. like if you're you're looking at results and Everything. looking at goal, you're yeah. just looking at goals, like you're missing some of the picture here and what they're actually doing and how they're actually playing. And it, it's just I mean, it, it's just complete night and day. I think that Corey's data last season has had them being like red in basically every single category. They were yeah. just horrible defensively horrible in their own zone horrible at generating offense whereas this year it, it it's the complete different it, it's a completely different like setup and so i'm actually it, it's funny i'm looking at um 
the rush versus, or let me look, scoring chances on Corey's data on his all three zones page. And I think he has, and it's now freezing on me, which is fun as I'm trying to, to look this up. Um, he has a, a tab that's like, oh, brother, instead of just being bad, he has, oh, brother, these teams stink. And um, the Sharks are the only team kind of in that category. And uh, sorry, that was actually, um, he has it just as San Jose, sorry, is ha- for chances. And if I go and add in last season to the data, the Ducks are significantly worse last season than the Sharks are this year. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just the the way that the Ducks were generating chances versus uh, what they were giving up. It's night and day, even though it's still not perfect, even though they are still getting out in games. There is a whole lot of progress between this year and last year. And there I think is. that that cannot be lost in the conversation here. And, 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 so, I, and I do think like not to be maybe naive because the standings are not pretty right now, but I do think that they're going to rip off another kind of hot streak at some point. Yeah. Just because of looking at the way that they're playing. Yes, there's a lot of bad right now, but a lot of that is correctable. And we've seen a lot of games where they just haven't been rewarded for some of their good play. So that's going to turn at some point. Yeah. So here's actually the, the numbers on it. Last season, chances against per 60. And this is all the manually tracked data. So this is... Corey Schneider uh, going through and manually tracking scoring chances, which is a little bit different than expected goals, but had him at 19.93 chances against per, per 60 and only generating 10 uh, chances per 60 four. Mm-hmm. So versus is this season uh, loads. So it was 19 against 10, four this season. It's at 16 against 15, four. Mm-hmm. So it's just the chances against have been brought down significantly. The chances for have gone up significantly. Sure, it's not perfect. Sure, you want to see them in a spot where they are better than the opposition at generating chances. But progress doesn't have those massive jumps right away always. And to where they're just a really good team right away. Yeah. But this is progress that, that we're seeing. And and like the thing is, there's also just an education that has to happen. These are young players who have never won at the NHL level and they're learning what it takes, what to do, what to not do. And until like you're not fully counting on these early twenties, some teenage players to be your drivers of success, like it's going to be hard to win. Like it's, if- it, it, it's just rare that you have an 18 year old come in and like, you know, lead a team to the playoffs right away. Like, it, like Cindy Crosby didn't make this playoffs first year. So I think if you want to be critical of Verbeek in any manner, I think the criticism comes with keeping Dallas Aikens last summer or, yeah. or two summers ago. That mm-hmm. That's where if you want to be critical, because you could have been having this type of season last season. Mm-hmm. Right now, granted, you can make the argument. You don't get Leo Carlson necessarily with this. So they're, they're, that decision aged well in a weird way. Like there, there's a give and take with it. Right. And so, I think if you want to be critical of Verbeek, that's where you can be critical because they could have been having this with the progress that we're seeing this year with that mm-hmm. team last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, let's end with this question. So we're almost at the hour and a half mark. Anthony Oberstar says, does the organization key or two things, actually Connor Juper, Juniper, who had a the, bunch of questions. Do we, I, there's one I'm, from Alexa. Oh There's yeah, one sorry. From Connor. There's one okay. From Alexa said, "Do you think Sidorov's goal scoring ability translates to the NHL while given enough adel- development?" I don't know enough necessarily about. I'm gonna how say he is I, I've got an answer. Okay, I'm gonna say no. 
okay. I've, I've been watching some of his goals and like he's just not going to do that in the NHL. If he does, then he's going to be like a hall of fame player. Um, but I think that he's going to, I think he has potential to be a, a very interesting offensive piece, but some of the stuff he's getting away with, I would be shocked if he was able to do that in the NHL. Okay. Uh, Connor Juniper said, is it fair to set a higher bar for the organization next year? No. You mean yes? Oh, sorry. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I Yeah. Whoops. Sorry, yeah, Connor. No, they, I, I, yes. Yes. It is fair. I, and, for and whatever I reason, I read we, that as is not fair. And I think that we are holding them to a higher standard now. Like, I think that they, I am still looking at them as they should be competitive in games. Like, I have not kind of hit that checkout button yet where it's like okay whatever you know long season yeah uh rebuilding team like i still think that they have the capacity to be in games we saw it against seattle who's who's a top 15 team in expected goals this season i'm not i'm not at a point where um i'm just kind of letting them off the hook i think that they they can they can compete and again we're not expecting them to win every game but i think that they have the capacity to be almost in every game that they play so yeah, Anthony Overstar said, uh, let's see, does the organization keep the 30th jerseys around after this year? Uh, I don't know. I, I think here's what the 30th has really done for me. Mm-hmm. It's made me realize that they just need to go back to that color scheme. I, okay, this is now going to be pure speculation. Okay. Hold on to your hats, hold on to okay. your underwear, hold on to everything. I feel for whatever reason now than I did more than before, I feel like the likelihood of a return to eggplant and Jade is higher now than it was before this season. I would agree with that because I feel like the way that these jerseys have been such a success and the way that the organization seems to be kind of more, they got to sell these jerseys. So I get that, but I think that they are kind of more pushing, you know, they they've rebranded the eggplant as plum which kind of gives them a sense of ownership over That's the fair. brand that they didn't have before. I'm just I'm just being extremely tea leaf reading right now, but I feel like the chance they go back to it is higher than it was. I still think that orange will always be a part of this team's colors. Like as long as I agree. as long as the Samuelis are owning this team, I think that's going to be the case. I don't think it's a bad thing, but orange I orange as that, a third is a good thing. But I think that maybe not necessarily as full time, but I I think. An, uh, an eggplant and jade presence yeah uh, a permanent presence of well, those colors is likelier now than it was before the season yeah anthony also said would you accept a accept eggplant and jade even with the web d logo no no that logo does not work with that yeah it's I, also I just it, like a it's also just a waste yeah like, 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 what are we doing here yeah i also just think this jersey the 30th jersey is so much different than the 25th right the 25th was this Frankenstein meshing of a lot all of these people love things. that jersey. No, like you are no, on wait, an no, island with no, this. No, no, wait, wait. <laughs> My take this isn't even about that though. Okay, but I'm just saying that you are on an island with the hate. Well, sure. You're but on a it, small island that you're not the only inhabitant of the island, but but sure. you're on an island. My point in bringing this up though is with the the 25th is that it was meant to be a jersey that represented a whole lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. And it was bringing it all in where it and it wasn't just like eggplant and jade. This is just straight up, yeah. The the old colors with they're they're embracing the, it. Like the eggplant and jade pants, eggplant and jade gloves. Which those gloves, every single time they play in them, they're just they're they're the best gloves they've ever had. Not far enough. 
No, they're not the best because they're a hat. Come on. Don't be Which silly. gloves are better? The originals are better. No. Because they, the had, jade, they, the, they, had, they had jade cuffs. Did they? Yes, these don't have jade cuffs, and that's no. I know these don't. The jade, the jade fingertips are so good. They are, but it's like, why didn't they go whole hog? Like they're still and do great. The jade cuff, that's fair. That's fair. But, but I mean, they're still an improvement. But over regardless, previous. like this, this is just straight up eggplant and jade. This is not this half measure doing both color schemes or trying to make it work with with all of it together in one. This is just straight up eggplant and jade. Yeah, like yep. that. That so there might be something there. I, hey, you know, I, I get stuff right once in a while. We'll sure. see. Hat tip, hat tip to me. Will, it, will yeah. this end up being a hat tip on Puck Empire? We'll find out. We'll see. Um, oh, there was another thing that came up from M, which I think is Matt or Marty. They had Marty as their name for a while. Now back to Matt. Anyway, M in our chat says, uh, that I like Ben King, and I have I have been a goals watcher as of late. I shouldn't make okay. that my my profile name, goals watcher. But um, yeah, Ben King looks like he could be an NHL player to me. Like he could be kind of this missing one of the, one of these guys who comes in and helps beef up the bottom six. You know, he's not the fastest, and maybe that that hurts some of the projection in the system, but. I did not expect him to come in as a pro and and look this sharp as a playmaker right away. So I'm going to give Ben King some some love here on the pod. There it is, the Ben King love. Yeah, remember that name. Remember that name. There it is. All right, I think that's going to do it for us. Yep. Um, well, this was a this was a bit of a long one. Yeah. Actually, not really. This is like average length for us. Uh we also an have an half as long. We also haven't yeah. done a podcast in a couple weeks, so yeah, we haven't. It, it feels it feels right to, uh, you know, to go long here. But thank you for listening, everyone. Also, um, happy new year! Hope you guys are having a great one. If you want to help support the podcast in 2024 and help things keep going, you know, this year and beyond, the number one way to do that is to go check out our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/CrashThePond. Uh, there's two tiers of membership. The first one is for $2 a month, you get access to our patrons only discord server. This to me is the best way to keep, you know, up to date on everything that's going on with the Anaheim ducks. You get to connect with other diehard fans. We have a dedicated channel in there just for Derek Lee updates, which he posts into. So you don't even need Twitter anymore. You just, yeah. if you just have our discord, you will get a better experience and you help support our show. So it really go does go a long way. You can also upgrade that tier to, I believe it's $7.50 or $8, uh, one of the two, on our page. $7.50. With, with that, you get the uh, pay the Discord server, and you get also access to two bonus podcasts a month where we you know talk about more in-depth about the Ducks. Like, for example, you know last week where we were out, we didn't do a regular one. We still did a bonus one, so... Some weeks where maybe we go a little quiet on the regular show, you're still usually going to get those bonus shows because we do get those in no matter what. Those two a month are going to happen. Um, and you also get access through, to through sickness and health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jake was not 100% on, on either, for of those. E either, for either of those. Yeah. Yeah. And so credit to Jake for, for sticking through. But that just goes to show that you will get consistent content there. You also get access to exclusive player breakdown videos. I have. We have two up there right now, one on Jamie Drysdale and one on Trevor Zegers. I would love to get to a point where I do these more kind of generally, 
instead of just a single game, but single game is just more convenient for me. Um, so go check go check that out, patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave a rating on Spotify. Yeah, leave a rating, leave feedback. Uh, that feedback is important. Subscribe on YouTube. We've got the more videos there, shorts. Uh, we've really got it all. The YouTube channel is growing. So come join the wave. And on that note, also follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.